0: Welcome to Fresh Perspective, a podcast presented by Recycling Today. Fresh Perspective features young professionals in the scrap and recycling industry, offering insights from the next generation of industry leaders. Guests share their stories of what led them to the scrap industry and new ideas on industry trends. Tune in to hear stories from scrap processors, traders, operators, and more who are starting to lead in this space. Fresh Perspective is beginning an ongoing dialogue with future executives of the industry. my name is Megan Smalley, and I'm with Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Rob Wise, who's an account executive at Ferris Processing and Trading in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. Rob first started at Ferris Processing and Trading in 2013, working in operations. Prior to his time in the scrap industry, Rob has held positions as both a radio host and a chef in the Detroit area. So thanks for coming on the show today, Rob. How's it going?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay, Megan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: So to get started here, how did you get into the recycling industry? And from what I understand, this isn't your first stop in your career.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, um, you'll kind of, as you track my career path, you kind of uh, realize that I've, I've stumbled into a lot of ventures in my life, either intentionally or accidentally as far as how I came to to FPT you know this is my first stop in the scrap business I uh, you you mentioned briefly that I had worked as a chef and and on the radio for a while in um, in 2013 my radio job disappeared from existence it didn't exist anymore and and um, at that time I, I was newly wed uh, my wife and I had had only been married a couple of months, and um, and I was all of a sudden found myself with no employment. She was the only one of us working, and and we were, um, you know, we didn't really have anything. we were a young couple who kind of were trying to make our way in the world. And I, I spent a little while looking for radio jobs at that time because at, at that point in my life, you know, that had been a lifelong dream, and uh, and I wanted to stay in that business at that at that point. And um, I looked, and those jobs were very hard to come by. And I went six or seven weeks following leads and talking to people in that, in the broadcasting industry. And uh, it just came down to as, as kind of very simply as it sounds, we just ended up needing me to work. You know, we could only survive on one income at that point in our lives for so long. And I had a friend who worked for Ferris Processing um, at, our facility up in Pontiac, Michigan, and uh, he they were looking for a laborer, uh, somebody to come in and drive a fork truck and do some processing work in the non-Ferris warehouse um, and you know, do all the other labor jobs that come with that. And he was nice enough to get me an interview and the rest is kind of history, I suppose. I'm still here, so it, it seemed to work out okay.
0: Awesome. Did you think that that was going to be just a temporary stop in the scrap industry? Did you think, all right, I'll do this for a couple of years, then I'll go back to broadcast, radio, or, you know, what kind of kept you in the industry?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I'm, um, I've always been one of those people who's like, well, let's just see where this path leads. You know, you walk through the open doors that are in front of you, and, and um, the worst thing that could happen is, you know, that it doesn't work out and you, you got to get back into the marketplace and look for something else. I mean, certainly at that time in my life, I I had been used to more, I was taking my first really physical labor job in a while. At that point, I had been in radio for a while, which is a very office driven nine to five, you know, I I was going to a lot of sporting events and doing that type of stuff because I was in sports radio. And um, so it was definitely different. I wasn't really sure what to make of it. I, I think I was just like every, a lot of people in the general public who don't really understand this business that well, I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest. And, um, you know, as I, as I stayed and and learned more about the business and, and got my feet wet and, and saw sort of the opportunity uh, that definitely made it more appealing a, as we went forward. But yeah, when I first got here, certainly I was, looking at all my options like everybody else would have at that time and wasn't sure if I was going to go back to cooking, wasn't sure if I was going to get offered a radio job. Did I think I'd be sitting here talking to you eight years later? I guess the answer is no.
0: (laughs) Got it. Now, tell me a little bit more about, you know, what you were doing before you came to the recycling industry. So you had experience in cooking and radio and those don't really connect either. So I guess, yeah, yeah, what were some lessons learned from those career experiences? And how have you been able to apply those as you transition to the scrap industry?
1: Yeah, the, like I mentioned, off the top, the career path has been a very winding, incongruous road. There's no doubt about that. I don't think you could have saw me, even as a like coming, you know, in my early 20s, when I was working in retail management, like so many of us do when we're coming up. And then sort of tied that into where I am today and then all the stops along the way. You know, I, I went to culinary school. I, I, I took my hand at traditional college. I, I did, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit uh, for a while. I, I did not graduate uh, from there at that time. I just was kind of a mixed up. Wasn't sure, like a lot of people who come out of high school, wasn't sure where my path was taking me. I had a lot of interest everything from sports and broadcasting to theater to a lot of things. And culinary, as I kind of came out of college and realized, hey, I'm uncertain what I want to do. I'm better off not wasting my money right now. And just trying to, I had some credits under my belt. I'm like, let's just figure out what we're going to do here. Um, And I took some time and just worked and and that. And I happened to see a commercial on TV. This is a true story um, for a, a business school, like a a short 52-week program in culinary, and it's something I had always been interested in and really wanted to try, and I made the phone call. I picked up the phone and called the number from the commercial, and I ended up getting enrolled in that culinary program there. I earned my certificate. I ended up um, taking my first ever job in a restaurant. That is true. At that point, i had never worked in a restaurant before, Um, and I took my first job in the restaurant I walked in, I needed an internship. That's how it worked. I needed to have something for the last 10 weeks of my program. And I walked in and met the chef there. And I said, listen, I've never worked in a restaurant before. Uh, I'm willing to do it for free. I have a full time job. I understand it's going to be at night and weekends. I work nine to five right now as a retail in a in a hardware store as a manager. And I said, I just I need this for my uh, externship that I had to do. And he said, Well, I won't make you work for free. We'll pay you. Uh, I can give you 30 hours a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, um, and I did that. I, I took it. I started, you know, um, doing like salads and stuff. I couldn't screw up because I didn't know anything. And within, I graduated from the program 12 weeks later. I stayed at that restaurant and I was there almost two years. By the time I left, I was the sous chef. I was running the whole kitchen by the time I left there. Um, And then I took another job as an executive chef at another place. I helped open a kitchen there in downtown Detroit. And from there, that stop led me to radio, weirdly. It was um, an internet music cafe that I was working at. I was the executive chef, and they were doing a lot of shows on their stage, talk shows and concerts and other things. It was a bar, you know, venue. And uh, I happened to meet somebody who had been on the radio in Detroit and he was getting back into the radio gig and he needed a producer. He called me and said, Hey, you know, we've talked and I think you're capable. Would you consider coming down and running my show, pushing buttons and getting guests and doing this whole thing? And I'm like, wow, that sounds great. I'm living the culinary dream. I've always been a big sports fan. Now I get a chance to maybe be on the radio. What a cool experience that is. And I went down and I interned there for a couple weeks while I was cooking and they offered me the job. And and I I called the restaurant and said, I think I've done what I can do and I'm gonna move on to the radio gig. And I did that for a while. I was the producer for a little while. And then the host of the show, the guy that had hired me, uh, he ended up uh, getting into a dispute over money with the network and he didn't come in one day. And they called me and they said, Hey, we've got two choices. You can host the show today or we can go back to the national network at that time. And I said, uh, no, no, I'll host it. Of course. I was very eager. You know, I wanted to be on the radio. That was such a cool gig. And um, and they put me on and I was a Monday. He didn't come in on Tuesday. He didn't come in on Wednesday. And I was hosting the show on Friday. They called me and said, Hey, he's not coming back. The show is yours now. So I fell backwards into it pretty much. And uh, much like I ended up in scrap, you connect with people and, and you get doors open for you that way. And, and you just learn and explore as you go along. So yeah, very winding road. As far as how that, uh, you, I know you mentioned how that connects to what you know, I'm doing now. I think the one link between all these businesses, uh, retail, uh, being a, the sous chef or being a guy making salads and cooking appetizers or or being on the radio is the people, the connection to people. My job now, whether it's employees in our facility, whether it's customers, outside vendors, whether it's Megan, uh, you know, whether it's on a podcast, th- these are all people driven businesses as, as most businesses are uh, you have to have you know, those interpersonal skills to be able to put yourself out there, to, to try to make a deal in scrap, to try to get a guest on the radio, to try to please the guests who are in your restaurant. Um, and, and the people connection is, is real. And that is something that I've always prided myself on. I, I've been good at it. And honestly, when people say, "What are your skills?" I've had lots of gentlemen say, "What are you good at?" And I think that the connection between human beings is what I've been good at, and that's opened a lot of doors for me in my life and in my career. It's led me to, uh, to where I am today.
0: Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a winding road, but I think it's very relatable. I think everybody kind of has you know a bit of a winding road, and it's not always predictable, but definitely need to see where end up. So yeah, as you transitioned into Ferris processing and trading in the scrap industry, what was that like at first in the first couple of years as you worked there? And what was the biggest learning curve for you?
1: Well, first of all, I told you, I didn't know what to expect. I, I honestly had no idea what I was getting my myself into. I, I was taking a labor job, right? And I, I thought, okay, this is going to be something. I mean, I have a lot of direction and they're going to teach me what I should be doing and I'll take my cues from that. And that is what happened for the most part. I I had um you know obviously worked with a friend, worked with met some other guys who were working in the yard at that time and and they short sort of showed me the way of of what to expect on the day-to-day ground level of a of a facility, of a scrap recycling facility. But it was overwhelming. I mean, again, I mentioned I I hadn't had a physical labor job in a while at that point. I'd been doing other stuff and I had been in management in the restaurant before that. So it was the first time in a while that I was reporting to somebody else and that I was sort of um, in in a position where I wasn't calling any of the shots. So that was different for me. You know, the biggest challenge, um, other than, you know, trying to learn how to drive equipment, which I had never driven before in my life. Uh, was just the learning about materials, learning about um, grading and, and all the different types of scrap there is. And I mean, you'll, you'll see that this is a recurring theme in a lot of my answers is that the general public, including me at that time, didn't know what scrap was like, what this industry was like, uh, what goes into it every day. Uh, I think there's a lot of outside perception that are flawed about what we're doing, but it is. It's, it's very challenging, and um, and that part, the the learning, the grading, and and trying to figure out where material goes, and what homes it goes to, and what can go where to which consumer, that part can be very overwhelming when you're when you're first coming up, and even at the processing level, at the lowest labor, you know where I was at that time, it it I felt the pressure, I felt the pressure to get it right, and um, and obviously I think that's prepared me. Uh, for where I am today, but also that was kind of the biggest challenge because it wasn't something that I I was programmed to to look for every day.
0: Awesome. So I guess first off, what's kind of the culture like working for FPT, and then also are there any unique projects that FPT is working on that you're excited about?
1: I think corporate culture-wise, it's great. I, I'm you know our from the president uh, Dave Debranis on down. We've got a great team of people put together here. The culture is super supportive. Uh, I don't think I would be where I am today if there wasn't that uplifting promote from within culture that we've built here. Um, It's not a lot of places in the world you go where you can go from driving a fork truck to running a trading team in a region in eight years. It's been fast. But again, FPT has opened a lot of doors and allowed me to walk through them. Certainly, I had to put in hard work, but they've, they've given me plenty of opportunity. So the culture here is one of support. It's, it's one of teamwork. You know, there's a lot of uh, interaction between executives and, and guys on the ground, which is, which is great. It's great to see that support in the yards every day. Our executive team is on the ground a lot. They're not sitting in an office somewhere. They know what's happening in our yard. And around our facilities and that's great. Um, as far as projects that, that FPT is involved in, listen, FPT is, is a company that I think will continue to grow and, and that is what I'm most excited about, the growth with these people and these opportunities. We have a great young core of people coming up in the accounting department, in the trading department and the operations department, and I think FPT has done a great job cultivating that young talent that they've been able to obtain. And I'm most excited about that—the people I'm working with, the team I'm on—and uh, and I think that with some of the new ideas we have coming through with the young core we have, that that's the most exciting thing. I think the sky is the limit, and and FPT is in is has a strategy that includes growth, and that for me at this stage of my career in my mid 30s. That's the most exciting thing that, that we have going on is just growth with good young talent.
0: So who has helped to serve as a mentor to you in your career, especially coming from outside the industry? And then secondly, how have you been able to reciprocate, serve as a mentor to others in your career?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I've um I, I've been blessed with a lot of mentors in my life and in my career here with FPC, you know, from my buddy who, who helped me get the job here, uh, who's no longer with the company has moved on, but I, I've had lots of great mentors here, managers. Uh, I worked with, with, a, with a great trader when I first started. He's since retired. His name is Scott O'Grady at SLC. He'd been trading non ferrous for 40 years and, and he sort of helped me along in, in my learning of not just materials, but the way negotiations are handled meeting a lot of people in the Detroit area, which is obviously where I got my start in trading uh, and just sort of understanding the relationship side of the business and, and how there's a lot of other things at play than just a number. There's logistics things, there's pa- you know packaging requirements and processing issues that you know make things make the way that metal is traded different. Um, I've had great leadership. You know, I, I worked for Tony Levin for a long time at SLC. Uh, and now I work for Mario Macari, who I think has helped me out, you know, in a lot of different ways. And, and even the guys that I work side by side with here every day, managers and, and um, guys in the yard, we're all learning from each other. And that's super important because there are things that even though I've come up from the yard and whatever, I've moved around to different places and been in different facilities of ours. There's always something to, to learn, different processes that we employ, different ways that we do things in different areas. Certainly coming to Miami was different for me. I, I'm uh, you know, there's a big Spanish speaking population here, and I I'm not a Spanish speaker. So I've I've taken my lead from other guys around me who who, you know, can help me in that area and, and help me understand what's happening sometimes when I don't understand. Um, and so I think even, you know, you take your lead from everywhere. You try to take in as much information as you can and, and process that and, and know a good idea when you see one and walk away from a bad idea when you see one. Uh, and then as far as how I've tried to pass it on, I, I I mentioned before, I've, I've been given a lot of opportunity and I don't take that lightly. I think it's important to not only give others around me opportunities, but also to pass along the knowledge that was passed to me. And so I try every day to, you know, I'm now on the trading side again with a little hybrid operations role, but I try to share my perspective with the operations team here. And I really want to take in their perspective as well so that we can understand each other better and understand the, the struggles on both sides because they are different. Um, and then, you know, as far as ISRI is concerned, I try to be involved in as much as I can be involved in time-wise and try to share you know, my experiences and, and what's happened, try to be an advocate for the industry in general. Um, and I think that's important right now for the industry that seems to be struggling to get new employees and, and those types of other, other things to really be advocating for each other for this business in general, uh, so that we can uh, cultivate a new generation of talent, the, the next generation that's younger than me, and, uh, and bring more people in with an eye to the future. And, and so just try to pass on as much of it as you can and, and, um, and be a mentor to anyone who's willing to listen to you. And I think one thing that uh, Y.E. has taught me and BYAB is like, we, we learn a lot from our peers. Our, you don't have to just be, it doesn't have to be a superior for someone to be a mentor to you. We're learning things from each other. And I think that's one thing that YE and BYAB Uh, have done a great job with And, and what you guys are doing with the podcast and this whole thing. I mean, we're all learning from each other and these platforms are really, really great ways for us to mentor indirectly.
0: So what would you say are some of the biggest issues that scrap industry is facing right now? And what do you hope could be solutions to some of the challenges that the industry is navigating?
1: There are no shortage of challenges in the scrap industry, just like any industry right now. I mean, we're coming out of uncharted territory on, on the other side, hopefully on the other side of a pandemic uh, that has affected the way a lot of people have done business. And that's not just in our industry, it's in all industries. Uh, but if scrap specific, I think number one is hiring. That's, that's a very, very huge challenge in this industry right now. And I know it's a, a challenge in all industries. But keeping, finding and cultivating and retaining talent is of paramount importance right now to the success of pretty much every company I do business with. I haven't talked to a lot of companies who are like, yeah, we've got so many employees, we don't know what to do with them. Uh, That doesn't exist today. And so that's a a gigantic challenge. Uh, More on the day-to-day scrap side, I think logistics is the biggest challenge, whether that be over-the-road trucking whether that be availability of, of export containers or vessels, uh, those are huge challenges. Um, and and I don't see those things clearing up in the short term, certainly. I think uh, we kind of knew there, there's been predictions for a long time that eventually we were going to be short on truck drivers. And uh, the COVID-19 situation kicked that in the pants and accelerated it tenfold. And we ended up in a jam Lot faster than we thought we would be, um, and so I don't I don't know what the answer to that is. I think hiring and logistics part of the logistics problem is hiring. There's not enough people available to do these jobs. I think what we can do, and it's not just in this business, but in in the world, if we're going to get worldly for a second, is just let people understand that there are a lot of jobs at trade school and other. Other, there's other ways to get there than having to go to college for a four-year degree. There's lots of great careers. There's lots of great things that we rely on every day that are, that are based on truck drivers and based on people who are working in recycling facilities.
0: So how is FPT navigating the hiring issues going on right now? And similarly, logistics issues, which strangely connect to the hiring issue when you think about it on some level.
1: Yeah, those are good questions. Uh, there, and I don't think there's any easy answer to it. On the hiring side and on the logistics side, I think our response has been one of of networking. Try to get yourself in front of as many people as possible, uh, whether that's potential employees, looking in places we would not normally look, whether it's getting involved in job fairs or posting on you know more social media driven stuff. I mean, we're trying a lot of different things that weren't as necessary even 18 months ago as they are today. Uh, And it's the same thing on the logistics side. We're trying to network with as many people as possible, uh, trying to find um, situations that fit what we're looking for um, and, and offering people that type of stability, right? Hey, we're a company who has a need and, and, you know, you're a company who has a need and wants consistent business business. So, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to network with as many people and generate as much uh, conversation as possible. And I think that those conversations lead to some to some business a lot of times. And that's mostly what we're doing. On the other side, obviously, just looking to hire good people who, who want who want to advance and be in a career that's rewarding and, and trying to tell people what we're about as a company and the culture that we're building here. Um, and that's what we're out there, out there trying to do, but it is a challenge.
0: Got it. And as a final question here, where do you see the scrap industry heading in the next few years and what changes do you think might occur?
1: Well, the one thing I know about scrap is that it's been around forever and it'll be around forever. I think the form of that will change over time. Uh, like it has over the last hundred years, it'll continue to develop and change. Uh, Certainly, I know that a lot of manufacturing processes are relying more on recycled materials than ever for a lot of reasons, for environmental reasons, for cost reasons. Uh, And I think that that will that trend will continue. Obviously, we want to reuse as many things as we can keep things out of landfills. And that's something that even though you wouldn't know it by talking to the people in government that we've always tried to do Uh, and, and we'll continue to try to perfect those processes. I think you'll see you know, more and more processing equipment get developed that keeps more stuff out of landfills. Uh, you know, you'll see uh, obviously the transition, what a big change will be a transition from um, combustible engine vehicles to electric vehicles uh, and you know, how that changes the need for different base metals, whether that's from aluminum to copper because of the, the windings in the motor and, and this type of thing. You know, we're still trying to make cars more efficient and lighter. So you'll continue to see revolutions there, I think, which will change our processes and what we do as an industry. So I'm excited for the future. I think there are, you know, a lot of challenges. Again, we've discussed hiring and and this and that, Um, but there are a lot of great things on the horizon, I believe, and I think recycling is going to be a huge part of that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely excited as well. Um, So. Yeah, that was pretty much everything I had. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Rob.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your time, Megan. Thanks for having me and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you.